Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Please take your seats. Take your seats. Thank you very much. That was great. Uh, I want to thank uh, John and Danielle for taking a holiday. Got John off the stage very nicely. Uh, it's great to be here back at C3. We're actually trolling through the years of when I was actually here, so I'm glad you confirmed it was nine. Teresa said it might have been ten. Other people said it might have been five, but it's definitely nine, right? Yeah. Uh, I want to thank the uh, worship team. Uh, they've completely taken me apart. Completely taken me apart. I had a hard exterior until those songs and the, and the way they were sung, and now I'm absolutely butters. But it's great to be here. Uh, I'm going to share a bit of my story. I want to thank uh, everyone for coming nice and early. Hands up the young families in the room that have made the A15. Congratulations. Getting your kids up, fed, dressed, and off to church with all that grace. It's wonderful. So it's great that you're here, and I'm sure, with God's help, We'll make it worth your while and your effort this morning. So thank you to the young families. Um, so my story, my story begins, and it's always great on days like today because I'm going to spend a lot of the day talking about me. <laughs> my favourite topic in the whole wide world. And, and because I partner in with God in that, it makes it very biblical. So uh, it's going to be a great day for me, that's for sure. Uh, so strap in. Uh, my story starts in this beautiful exotic, tropical location called Rockhampton. Anyone from Rockhampton here? How good is it? Like seriously, now you live on the Sunshine Coast. Anyway, um, I grew up there and, and sport was it. 
That's the only thing I ever wanted to do. And swimming became it because if you've ever been to Rockhampton in the summertime, it's hot, real hot. And so you're in the pool a great deal. And so I fell in love with swimming and rugby league and cricket, but swimming was the thing. Swimming was where I really expressed myself. And by the age of 14, I'd built myself up into the under-14 Central Queensland 200 freestyle champion. I'll do it again. I, I didn't, I didn't realise there were so many CQ champions here and that was nothing. But anyway, we'll go again, C3 champion people. By the age of 14, I would build myself up, go with me, yeah, to be the under-14, still with me? Central Queensland, 200 freestyle champion. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I was somebody. And uh, my dad saw great potential in me. He could see I had desire. I was getting myself up early. I was going to the pool. I was swimming around about three k's in the water, and I was really starting to get good. Okay, so he moved the entire family. My two brothers, my two sisters, uh, got a transfer in the bank. Dad was a bank Johnny, and we moved to Brisbane. So I could train. I'll go with that first photograph, please, mate. Uh, James, I'll, I went with. So I could train with this guy. Laurie Lawrence, okay? A very short, ugly, hairy man, okay? Who had the most brutal, strongest, toughest, and winningest squad in Australia at Brisbane's Chandler Pool, where they had the Commonwealth Games in 1982. And I walked in there on Tuesday afternoon as the under-14 Central Queensland 200 freestyle champion. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now you're getting it, now you're getting it. Um, and I walked in on Tuesday afternoon, 3.30, and Laurie had his squad set up like an advanced squad. It was all about merit. It was all about competition. It was all about improvement. So you started in lane zero when you joined the Lawrence swim team with all the babies. And with hard work, you moved up to, the, to lead lane zero. And then you got advanced to the bottom of lane one. And there was five lanes to get to because in lane five, it was the green and gold lane. You couldn't get into lane five and train in the Laurie Lawrence swim team unless you had the green and gold on your back for Australia, unless you were going to the Commonwealth Games, the Olympic Games, the world championships and all your heroes that you'd read about in the paper, seen on TV, and you were, were champions, were in lane five, and they were charging up and down doing hundreds of laps. That was the promised land. And in lane zero, you started and you worked your way through the squad. So I walked in on a Tuesday afternoon as the under central, under, under 14, so yeah, stuffed it up. Anyway, so you, you've all got it by now. Can you say it for me? No, I'm just joking. And I walked in there and I, and I thought Laurie should know me. Okay. Because ego's never been a problem. And so I've walked in and I've stood off to the side and Laurie's sort of standing over here looking like a general at the end of the, end of the uh, five lanes, looking at them all. And he looks over at me and he brushes me, gives me nothing. Looks at me again, because I'm standing there about 10 minutes now. Looks at me again, nothing. Finally walks over, clump, clump. And he gets right up in my face and he goes, what do you want? And I said, my name is Duncan Armstrong. I want you to coach me. He's got right up in my face. He's going, are you hungry, son? Are you hungry? <laughs> and I was so switched on. I've gone, I'm sweet. I've had lunch. I'm ready to go. <laughs> and he said, you might be just dumb enough to win something. <laughs> and that was the start of a nine-year relationship with Laurie. And I've had 35 years of therapy because of it. But Laurie really understood what it was to be an Olympian, what it was to take on the best in the world every four years for a race that took less than two minutes. So I had less than two minutes on one day every four years. 
the best in the world are going to show up. And if that door closes, that opportunity closes, you don't take it, you've got four years to wait until the next exam. It's amazing. But Laurie would do it over and over and over again. So what did he teach me? So what did Laurie teach me? He taught me how to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, selfish. He taught me how to be a really hard trainer, how to control my diet, how to control my behaviours, how to control friends, how to control my environment. He taught me all of these things that really go into a sporting career to be the absolute best. And he did it with charisma and fun. And we're going to play another clip now. This is the same race you've just watched in my words. Now you're going to see it from Laurie Lawrence's angle. So enjoy this. Gee, that gets me going. It's only been 31 years. But this was his blend of coaching. This is what we saw every single day. You know, Laurie would come to the pool at 4.30 in the morning and we had to be at the pool, even in the wintertime, we had to be in, the, in front of the pool before it opened, 15 minutes before it opened, because the world got in the water at 5am. Okay, that's swimming. 5am in the water, 200 laps before school, really good sleep at school, 200 laps, 200 laps at, uh, at the pool in the afternoon, 400 laps a day over 50 metre pool. That was your life. Okay, all the way through your teen years and into your early 20s. That was the price you paid to be the best. That's all there was to it. There's no getting out of that. There's no complaining about it. it. It was difficult, don't get me wrong, but that's the price you had to pay for victory at that level. And Laurie would uh, come downstairs. There'd be 75 teenagers in our, in our team. And um, we'd have to be at the pool at 4.45 in front of the pool because we had to be 15 minutes earlier than the rest of the world. And we'd be all huddled up in wintertime and Laurie would come down the stairs, dark, August, Brisbane, cold. He'd come down the stairs and go, isn't it great to be alive? Isn't it great to be alive? <laughs> and it was like the military, you had to answer back. And we go, yes, it's great to be alive. <laughs> and he goes, do you know what time it is? Do you, do you, do you, do you? And we go, it's 4.45. He goes, 4.45. <laughs> How many people live in Australia right now? Do you know? Do you, do you, do you? We go, 18 million. He goes, 18 million. And how many of them are asleep right now? Most of them. You people are the lucky ones to take your first step towards your Olympic destiny. Are you ready? 
And we'd be like, yeah, it's we're ready. But he goes, well, we're not waiting for five o'clock. Everyone gets in at five o'clock. We're starting early. 500 sit-ups. Let's go. Right? So we all hit the deck. Now, in our squad, there was 15 in the green and gold and 60 hopefuls. Okay? A little line in between those two groups because they're the haves and have-nots. Nothing mean about it. It's just the way respect works in the the squad. Now, if I'm in the Australian team, going to the Olympic Games, 500 sit-ups on a Thursday morning in front of the gates of Chandler Pool is not very arousing. Okay? So they're all down there going, one, two, not really enjoying it much. But over in the corner, the deep, dark corner, is the first person who's got there at 4.40. Okay? Been there five minutes before the rest of us arrives at 4.45. She's driven in from Ipswich with her parents. She got her parents up... At, at uh, around about four, okay, to get there by 4.40. It's an 11-year-old girl, the deadliest thing in swimming because she floats like a cork, just wants to be people and is hungry, okay, and takes, there's no respect. So 500 sit-ups, 500 seconds. She stands up, finish lowering. He goes, come here, darling, come here. Tucks her under his arm and goes, look, darling, I gave you an opportunity for victory today and you took it. You beat him, him, her, 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 and they're all in the Australian Olympic team. There was a one-to-one battle with everybody here, and you won. Congratulations. And off into training we go. Okay. Then in the afternoon we might load up the bus and go to Ch- go to Carindale, Birchgar and Coyle for a, for a movie as a team. All 75 of us get off the bus. Laurie goes up to the ticket counter at Birch Carroll and Coyle at Carindale. He goes, can I have a sticker, please? They give him a sticker, and he turns around and goes, look at it. Smell it. It's got Olympic liniment all over it. It smells like Olympic victory. It looks like Olympic victory. Who's got it in them for Olympic victory today? 500 sit-ups. Let's go. So we all hit the carpet. We look like a sit-up cult. No one can get a ticket because we're all in front of them doing sit-ups. And she's at it again. 500 seconds, 500 sit-ups. She stands up and goes, done, Laurie. She goes, come here, darling, come here. This morning was the heats. Tonight was the final. Now, I want you to put this sticker where you can see it. The last thing you do, right on your bedside table, all on your bed. So every time you go to sleep, you close your eyes on that. And when you wake up in the morning at 4 a.m. in the morning to get your parents out of bed and Ipswich to drive to Channel Pool, you'll see it. And it's the first thing you see when you hear the alarm clock because you will know that that sticker is about Olympic victory today. You were given an opportunity this morning, you took it. You got an opportunity this afternoon and you took it. And look who you beat. Him, him, her, her, her. That fat Eddie Armstrong, the lot. You beat them all. You took opportunity and that's what the Olympic Games is about. So what is he selling? This is the participation stage. During the worship, you're participating very nicely. (laughs) So what's he selling? As a coach, as a mentor, vision, dreams, what else? Belief. And how is he selling it? What's the vehicle? Torture. (laughs) I've never heard that before, but that is very apt. Torture. He's selling it torturously. But what is he selling? What's the vehicle he's selling? The vision, the dream, the opportunity. What's he selling it with? Competition, yeah? Little thing called enthusiasm. That's his vehicle. Enthusiasm. We've all got this enthusiasm built into us from God. How we bring it out. Laurie does it his way. I can't do it that way. I can imitate it. How good is it? Seriously. Seriously. 
It's like he's here. Off to, th off to therapy I go. But it's enthusiasm. We all have families. We all are part of communities. We all are part of work places. And so when I got out of the water, I thought that enthusiasm was everywhere. I thought that enthusiasm is what I've got to take to my workplace. That will to win, that drive, that independence, that competition, that enthusiasm, I took into everything I did. Okay? And by the age of 35, I was wrung out. I was famous. I was really famous. Went up from the pool, after the gold medal, after the swimming, after the green and gold, took the green and gold off, put on a, a TV cube and a TV uniform with a badge over my heart, just like the Olympic team, and got to work. You know, I couldn't get any better at life. You know, that happened when I was 20 years of age. So I was an Olympic champion. I was a world record holder. I was making money. I was being a sponsor. Um, I had commercials. I had television. I had fame. I had fortune. I was Duncan Armstrong. <laughs> and it was all just getting ahead of me. It was all just overpowering me. I got into drugs. I got into booze. I got, in, got into smoking. got into crazy times. Got married. Had two kids. First out of the gate when I was 22. Okay, got divorced when I was 23 and a half. Okay, so I was, I was diving into life as much as I possibly could. And by the age of 35, I think we just had in the worship song, thank you, Lord. Um, you know the worship song we just had and it said, uh, are you tired of being you? You know, I got there at 35. I was just about to go through it again. More boats, more houses, more cars, more television, more drugs more alcohol, more parties, more velvet rope, more magazine covers, more newspaper, more, more, more. And everything I learnt with Laurie Lawrence, that enthusiastic mentor, was not working, okay? And I was becoming pathetic. And my idea of mateship was absolutely toxic, toxic. I would find a, I'd find a bloke who had more than me, just a bit more, not too much more, just a bit more, and we'd become mates. And then I'd get in front of him and get in front of him and get in front of him and compete and compete and style up and style up. And my boat was bigger now and my house was bigger and I was in a better suburb now and my car was better now and I'd drop him like a bad habit and find another target because my mateship was about targets. I'd taken my swimming life and the non-reality of that and tried to make a lifestyle out of it and I was crushed. Why? Because I was empty. Toys, drugs, state changes weren't filling me up. And then I met this cage fighter. His name was Biggie. His name's Ian. But he was called Biggie. He was a big dude. Okay, he used to be a cage fighter. And he had more than me. Perfect storm. Okay? We became mates. And for six months I tried to get in front of Biggie. Try to get better than Biggie. Compete with Biggie. He had this calmness about him, this fulfillment about him. I said to him one day, Hey, what is it about you? And he's just watching me go around him, circles. Donuts, circles, just laughing to himself. He goes, mate, I go to church. I go, church, church, church. Seriously? Because my family was unchurched. We had a bad attitude towards people who go to church, who were bigots, prejudiced, okay? And he's the strongest guy I know, the calmest guy I know, with more toys than me, and he's calm about it because the toys weren't fulfilling him. Jesus was. And so I've got this guy and I'm... <clears throat> This is the crying stage. I'll get to it in a second. But I got this guy. I got this guy. And I can't get in front of him. He said, you need to come to church. And I'm like, church, brighter, I'll go. Um, and so we came in. And it was a happy clapper church like C3 Powerhouse. Had a karaoke board. Had a wicked band. It had everything, right? Okay. It was just like walking into this joint. 
And I've, I've sat over to the side, not saying anything about the people on the right over there in the dark. I'm not saying anything about that. But that's where I found my sanctuary of not being able to stand out. And I sat over there and I mocked it. I went to what I knew best, which was ridicule and reviling just to keep my centre right because I had to be the Duncan Armstrong that I built. I could not be anything else right because that's all I knew. And there was no way I was going to come across to the worship that we all enjoyed then. So I was sitting there mocking, mocking, but I had to come back next week. So the claws were starting to go in. Okay, And then one time, about six weeks after, <coughs> here we go, about six weeks after, I sat over here and I'd been going out with my wife. She was my girlfriend at that stage because I was too smart for marriage again. And we'd been going out about six or seven years. Okay, eh, That marriage thing, tried it once. I can do this, right? I'm so smart. And she really got it. She was going to church secretly before I even knew, blah, 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 because women are smarter than men. We know it. It's all good. Um, and so, yeah, she was coming along and, you know, and she'd never seen me cry. We'd had a, I had a controlling relationship. There was no way we were going outside of what I thought was right in our relationship or whatever, okay? So I'm standing over there thinking I'm a big block of ice. And I'm standing there, and this worship song comes on. I can't remember what it was, but this, this presence drops on my shoulders. Okay, you can put that other next slide up, please, James. And this, this presence comes upon me, right? And I can't cope with it because it's this word, love. And whew, I'm back. And, and I didn't know what it was, but it was this presence, and I couldn't shake it off, and I didn't know what it was, and it scared me to death. I couldn't cope. Ran out of church, okay? Came back, same thing happened. Presence arrived. My girl's looking at me going, what is going on? Because oh, when I cry, okay, it's not weeping. It's blubbering. There's snot. There's spits. There's wolfing. There's whoa, 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 whoa. There's this whole thing. I look like I'm chucking up. But anyway, so I'm going through this whole routine that I've never done before. My wife, my, my girl at that stage had never seen it before. But it's happening to me. It's happening heavy and it's coming in hard. And so I walked out of church and I knew, I knew instinctively it was Jesus. But I'd never touched a love like that. I'd never let myself get outside my bounds to feel anything like that ocean of support, that ocean of never-ending love, okay? Because my idea of love was very, very different. It was worldly. And this is not. And it was hitting me. And so I was down there and I ran out. And then I got really clever. I go, you know what I do? Because everyone's saying, Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is the Lord. And I go, oh, yeah. Well, there's all these books written by all these clever people that say he's a man. So I got into some clever reading, you know, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, all the atheists that you can name. I was reading about, oh, I'll get this guy under control. I'll get him under control. <laughs> but I kept on coming to church over on the right-hand side, hiding. Okay, not saying you are. Hiding and blubbering. And, and meeting this love, and I just could not get on top of it, okay? Until so someone gave me a book, they could see me struggling, they could see that I was being a really clever person by reading all these crazy authors, and they gave me this book, and it's called Josh McDowell, More Than a Carpenter. Josh McDowell used to be an atheist, he's doing an atheist tour of the United States, he gets converted by the love of God. Josh has had my experience, I've had his experience, and he's written this tiny little book, great for men, okay? Just saying, great for men. But in it, it's full of these stats, and I needed stats because I came from a statistical background. All my swimming times lapsed. And so he appealed to me. And so Jesus gave me this book through Josh McDowell and we were saved. You know, we, my wife and I were sitting over there and 
I had a visiting preacher from Toowoomba come down, Alan LeMay, and we didn't know we were ready, but Alan said, is there anybody out there? <laughs> we're at the front. We scared him. We got up to the front so fast. We needed saving. We both knew. And I looked at my missus and I'm, we're on. Bang, up to the front. Okay? We got saved that day. But then the journey began. Okay? Because that's part of it. Like saving is so important. Touching that love is so important. But I, I blubbered for a year. I sweated for a year. I'm sweating now. It smells great. <laughs> and whenever I get deeply into the Lord, I start crying and sweating. And I don't, I don't know why. It's just my thing with him. And, and stuff like that. And it went for a year that every time I thought about Jesus, I'd burst into tears and it was crushing my manhood that I had built so carefully. So carefully. But Becky and I, we were married uh, eight months after that and our first child arrived around about, uh, well, hopefully nine months after that, 12 months after that. 12 months after that. So that was great. And our journey has begun since then and it's been difficult. It hasn't been easy. It's been exciting. It's been thrilling. It's been really great. It's been great being a new Christian because you run into this sort of um, long-term Christian stuff all the time. And, you know, I remember when I first became a Christian, one of my best mates was a member for uh, the Lismore area and he was having a Lismore prayer breakfast, okay, parliamentary. So I go down there and, and stuff and I've been a Christian for about 12 months and thought I knew what was going on. We get in there and there's 300 people from all over Lismore, different churches, no band or karaoke board or anything like that. So they're just punching out a few... Uh, worship songs and a few hymns and they, they sang this hymn How Great Thou Art who's heard that one? Oh, I bet you have C3 oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. not lately with that band but anyway look. and so there's 300 people in the workers club you know, all stamping their feet singing How Great Thou Art and I'm standing there and I'm having a moment because I'd never heard it before and didn't know where it came from but you know, these people really knew it and really punching it out and I was like oh. I'm looking at my missus and she goes you are a tragic anyway and so I go back to church and I go back to the worship team and I get there nice and early on a Sunday and I walk in as I start to warm up and tune their guitars and stuff. I go up to the worship leader and I said, I've got this great new song for you. And they're like, oh yeah, that's great. What is it? And I said, how great thou art. And they're looking at me going, door, get out. We don't do that one here. So we've had a lot of really, really good times as we started to come to God and, and learn what it is to follow him because I had to tear down everything I knew and after 14 years, I'm still finding my way. Sometimes I feel saved, but I haven't given my complete heart to him. You know, so it's a, it's a journey with him that you're going to take a long time. But, you know, I put up my family photo at this stage because I'm looking at my clock and I've got five left. Yeah, there they are. My wife, Rebecca, we've been together 14, 15 years this year. We've got Ava, Noah, and Isaac is the little fireball on the end. Um, and and this, is the, this is the beauty that God gives me every single day. Every single day he gives us this duty about getting rid of my control freak, getting rid of my controls and relying on him, going to a source of love that is never ending. Okay, and like, <clears throat> like we heard, was it Steve? Yeah, how good is that story? Makes you, makes you feel humble, doesn't it? And you think about the trials and the tribulations that I'm going through, that Steve went through. You know, and, and Jesus' love just gives me that little bit of an uppercut to sort of say, what problems do you have, son, that you're not bringing to me? Okay? And that's what Jesus asks us. I'm back. That's what Jesus asks us. Because, oh, I'm telling you, if we get to the bottom of that, it's not good. It's not, it's not, it's not good. And so, and, uh, and things like that. So, so I'm not too sure of your particular situation and why you're attending here today. 
Hopefully you've come to see me. You might have a sporting background. This might be your first time in church. I really hope it is. For all those people who've been before, it's great to see you again. But if you're like me and you know that you're not living your best life, if you are sick and tired of being in pain and being alone in your heart, I've got to tell you that the life you've created to live, been created to live, is on you now. But Jesus will never let you down in any circumstance. He doesn't know how. Jesus does not know how to let you down. My life with him is challenging, provocative, not as provocative as Israel Folau. Like you think you're having a tough Sunday? Think about Israel today. Yeah, we'll get on that for about 15 minutes. I'm not. Love it. Um, so it's provocative, it's exciting. It's humbling, but it's completely daring because that's what love is. You've got to dare yourself to love sometimes in this world. You've got to dare yourself to love the situation that's handed to you. You know, I've been working for Telstra for a really, really long time, 19 years, and this week I was made redundant. Now, I've never been made redundant in anything in my life. Okay? So it's a whole new experience for me. But it doesn't hurt me because I'm wrapped around Jesus. I'm caught around Jesus like a steel cord is around Jesus. You know, and I love my work at Telstra and I don't want that to end and there's some disappointment about that, but I'm not unsafe. I'm not adrift. I'm not lost. And I'm never going to be. And I might have to get another job, but I've picked out a couple of positions that they're going to give me anyway. But anyway, so things come up. Trials and tribulations come up. Family issues come up, you know, with your family and things like that. But when you've got your life wrapped around the eternity that Jesus is offering in love, then these sort of things become small potatoes. And we want our life to be full of colour, full of life and full of love. And there's only one person, Jesus Christ, who can give it to There's only one person that you can turn to in all things to be forgiven in all things. Because a lot of the time, you know, us men, we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble, okay, that we feel that we can't be forgiven for. And that's a lie, an absolute lie. So nothing I've ever experienced, being the so-called superstar that I built, uh, compares to my life now, okay. I showed some highlights of my swimming life, talked about some lowlights without swimming. But nothing compares to the life I have with him now. So I'll get Teresa up here. And we'll show you one, one verse that I'm really working on at the moment. It really drives into my heart. And this is the Amplified. I love the Amplified. Why? Because the Amplified sort of breaks it down for a dummy like me. Okay? Casting all your cares. That's all your anxieties. All of them. All your worries. All your concerns. Once and for all. For all. For all. This is the future sins that I'm going to commit and the sins that I've got wrong in the past. Okay? All of them. On him who cares. On Jesus. Because Jesus cares about you with the deepest affection and he watches over you. And the word very in there is really, really crucial because for all the parents out there, and soon to be parents, Jacob, you know, when you're watching your kids very carefully, how much intent do you have? It's hardcore, isn't it? As a parent, when you're getting very intentional about your kids, nothing's in the way. There's no barriers to it. There's no depth to it. You are in, 100%. And Jesus is watching me every single day just like that. It's good. Okay. 
So if you're up for that kind of relationship, if you're up for that kind of endless love with the creator of this world, that you can have that love for eternity, not just this life, but forevermore. Theresa's going to put you through a little call to the cross. And we're going to hope if you're here and you haven't asked Jesus into your heart, that this is your moment, like it was for Rebecca and I 14, 15 years ago when our life truly began. Not the peace. Okay, we're still searching for that. In this world, it's going to be difficult. But the love. Okay, the love without barriers. Teresa?